This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. On this October 28th, on this Friday, we welcome you to Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us. Coming up in just a moment, Sapria Devetti, my guest, and then a COP27 themed roundtable before uh, uh, the environment takes center stage in Sharm el Sheikh, Egypt, uh, starting November 6th. We thought we'd focus on it here on Real Talk. A couple of uh, informed voices from different perspectives. Dr. Sarah Hastings Simon joining us from the University of Calgary. Uh, she's a macro energy systems researcher. We'll find out what that means. And then Kendall Dilling is president of the Pathways Alliance. That's a, a consortium of the sixth. Uh, the six largest oil sands companies, uh, they've made a commitment to take Canada's oil sands to net zero by 2050. And we're going to find out how they're going to do that. Uh, Pathways Alliance is actually going to be presenting in the Canada Pavilion at COP27 in Egypt. So uh, we'll get some insight into what that's going to look like, what the what the pavilion presentation will be, what the message is. And of course, we'll, we'll look to challenge our guests with uh, different perspectives brought to the table by those of you who are tuning into the show live participating in our live chat on YouTube and also, of course, hitting us up on our hashtag RealTalkRJ. John Hicks in the house riding shotgun this morning, morning. How are the you? technical producer to the show. Yeah. I was doing great. Uh, I'm still doing great. But you dropped something heavy on me just about a minute before the show, 30 seconds before the show started. But I love that you did it because sometimes it's our friends and colleagues and people close to us that remind us of the important things in life. I was lamenting the fact I wasn't I, I, I would never take back given my boxer Moses a big hug mm -hmm. on the way out the door. But I looked down at my blazer and I thought, I thought, gosh, can you tell I hugged my dog? I said, there's 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 hair all down the arm of my blazer. And you answered back. I said, you're going to miss that hair when he's gone. <laughs> I, did just, I just went, <laughs> and you went, oof, you're an emote. I was like, oh, <laughs> should we delay the show a few minutes here? No, or should we, uh... you're so right. It's true, though. I, I always complain about, like, you know, cat hair on the on the sofa or, like, you know, kitty litter or, like, the dog's toys everywhere. And then I, I'm like, shut up. Yeah. Shut up. Because they, they live so short lives. You got to enjoy every piece of them. And they're so nothing they do is to hurt you it's all innocence i like, totally do you agree think they know their toys are messy on the floor they don't they no, don't they, of course they don't yeah. so just of course they don't and if he could talk, enjoy he, the hair if he could talk he would probably say i would shed less if you would brush me more <laughs> so so maybe it comes down to me like, you know you talk to people that have that have lost pets um i remember jeremy allen the death educator when he joined mm -hmm. us here on the show just what was that maybe a month ago or something like that people can check our archives for that interview and he was talking to us. He was he was scheduled and booked on the show to talk to us about grief and uh, in particular grieving as a nation or grieving as a large group of people. Mm -hmm. It was it was in response to the, the James Smith Cree Nation tragedy, the, the mass stabbing. This is a horrific circumstance. And we were trying to find ways to talk about it as humans to gather collectively. And and then the night before our scheduled interview, his dog passed away. Yeah. And so we ended up having kind of like obviously two different conversations, but, but just, he was, it was raw and it was real. And we got a lot of feedback from people. If you sign into your social media, it seems any day, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter which day it is. Uh, one of your friends or somebody connected to you is mourning the loss of a pet. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they'll talk about, they can't quite bring themselves to, to put the water dish away 
or the or the tags like the collar is still hanging from the hook or the leash will hang on the wall for the rest of the time they own the home. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and animals make such an, an incredible impression on us. We have uh, in our house, we have like a, a bed from my wife's previous dog, which yeah. she loved more than anything. And you always say like the current animal, the current pet, the current dog. I know it sounds weird to say it is your favorite. Right. And then they pass. And then now like. It's like the grief expert was saying. It's this weird mix of like joy, gratitude, and fear yeah. of the impending, not doom, but like sadness that's coming. Like yeah. my wife looks at our dog and is like, starts crying. I'm like, what's wrong? And she's like, I just love her so much. And I know like, yeah, it's, it's so short. Like she's not going to be, she's like halfway through her life already. Probably. I saw a post from somebody right? the other day that was, they were, they were talking about, uh, in particular, it was like their dog was having joint issues mm. and having a hard time getting up, having a hard time moving around. And they said, we're just going to do everything we can. Because if you think about it, uh, you know, if, if, you know, hopefully this dog, they're like, hopefully this dog has a couple more years with us. Mm-hmm. And in the lifespan of, of, you know, eight to 12 or 13 or 14 years, a couple of years is it's like 20 years for a human. It's a big deal. Yeah. You know, they're like, we're going to do everything that we can to ensure that they have this quality of life. And, and somebody had commented on the post, do you ever just look at your pet in the eyes and become overwhelmed with sadness, yeah. knowing that one day they will be gone. And I was like, oh, man, I can't read these posts anymore. This is killing it's me. It's true, though. And your dog's probably looking at you like, what is wrong with you? You know, but you're just like, yeah, it's that impending. You know, it's so short. Yeah. So short. Yeah. Stelly's watching right now, says one of my cats is, is 14 and is really starting to show his age. And it's hard to imagine him gone. Um, yeah, uh, man, I, we didn't plan on starting the show like this, but no. hey, real talk, real life, real, <laughs> you, your, man, your, your you comment doing? is so yeah. valuable. I'm so grateful you said it, but it hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. And then all of a sudden my mic was hot. And so here we are, <laughs> we here have- we are, but I'm going to, I'm going to go home and hug the dogs even more. <laughs> I'm just going to get myself covered in dog hair today. Yeah. Uh, letting those do- dogs know with belly rubs and, do the and dogs scratches behind the ear, how much they, they're loved. Do they wake you up in the morning? Uh, no, no, they're, they're, uh, both of them are, we have a boxer in a lab. They both love mm. to sleep. So if so- you're, if you sleep till noon, well, that doesn't happen in the house anymore but if you if you were to sleep till noon they would sleep till yeah. noon with you probably like our cats 5 30 quarter to six. Oh, really meowing meowing until they get their food every morning and three out of five days a week i'm like shut up i'm coming you know yeah. what i mean and then as i wake up as i'm feeding them i'm like you know what like this is kind of nice it's yeah like, it's like a you get your day started a line alarm clock i'm gonna miss that this meowing when they're both gone <laughs> yeah, so I, for sure i try to get some gratitude in yeah early oh for sure yeah this is our, our live chat's going nuts right now which is which is great this is this is uh this is why we get together right so we talk about these things um haas says my current dog eats out of the same dishes that my previous dog did uh because uh my ex saved them for eight years and then gave them back to me when the current dog Kelso moved in. That's pretty incredible. Wow. That sounds like a healthy relationship between exes, by the way, too. Uh, (laughs) I know a lot. Someone understands the the magnitude of that emotional connection. I actually know a lot of like, you know, part-time dog parents right now. Like I have three friends who are all like previous relationships and they like share a dog. Yeah. Like the dog comes over for weekends or, you know, two weeks a month. Yeah. For sure. And, yeah. and and why wouldn't you be uh, like, you, you know, that can get kind of nasty, I would imagine. You know, these custody the battles, important. you hear how nasty they get. The pet is the family member. Important to both of them. Of like, course. You know I mean, it's like, of yeah. course, you can see how that might get uh, 
uh, Messi in particular circumstances. He he bought me the dog for my birthday. I the dog <laughs> is mine. But I paid for the. But dog. I paid for the dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now here we are laughing about people's pet custody battles. Better move on. That's the signal. It's time to move on. Supriya Devetti. Every once in a while, the universe just prompts and lets you know it's time to move the conversation forward. We do have we have an animal themed submission in trash talk. I'm going to let you know right now. It's going to break your heart. Um, it's from Mel who passed along a post off. Facebook you see this it's a poaching example uh, but hey th- that's what trash it's talk horrible. is all about when you when you are all fired up that's what trash talk is here for that's presented by our friends at local environmental services Supriya Devetti in just a second want to let you know I'm going to let you know on Monday as well Monday's the 31st of October Halloween of course and by November 3rd you've got well you're out of time <laughs> to get your tickets for the Covenant Foundation Lottery 2.2 million dollar dream home your chance to live in life changing luxury of course every ticket sold is going to benefit the quality of care, innovative care, the Misericordia and Grey Nuns Hospitals. This beautiful, Johnny, I think I can call it a palace. This palace comes fully furnished. What a life-transforming win that's going to be. Only one person's going to get the keys to the house, but they're also going to be giving away a 50-50. Someone's winning more than a half a million cash there. An Alfa Romeo, a BMW, a Lexus, a trip to Scotland, a deep sea fishing adventure. I mean, heli hiking. So many cool experiences to be won in this year's edition of the Covenant Foundation Lottery. You can get your tickets online. Find out more details. Make sure you do it before November 3rd at Covenant Foundation Lottery. .ca. I mentioned chiming in on our hashtag. You know, that's Real Talk RJ, and it is powered by our friends at Park Power. This week, I'm really encouraging you to follow them on social media. They've got great tips on their Instagram. A couple of times I've, I've taken pause. They've said, hey, did you know this could be a fire hazard in your home? Or, hey, did you know how this is? You're maybe you're maybe wasting electricity by doing this in your home. Mm-hmm. It's like they actually care <laughs> at Park Power. They've also got great tips through their Twitter account on whether or not you want the fixed or variable rate. Uh, a it depends on whether you're talking electricity or natural gas. They want you to pay less, including the promo code 2022-REALTALK, which will save 70 bucks off your first bill. And before we get to Sapria, also a big shout out to our friends at Friesen Brothers. John, I got this in the mail. I'm holding this in my hand. Check this out. This is one of the Friesen Brothers flyers. Wow. Now, the good news is, is if you didn't get one in your mailbox, you can always find it online as well at Friesen.com. The reason I wanted to mention it, yeah, they got all the specials on all the food that people want and all that jazz, but, yeah. but what about the what's for dinner feature? They take great fresh ingredients. Check this out. And then they give you the recipe. It's a simple recipe to follow. You just use the QR code. Of course, you can find all the ingredients in store and receive bonus points at Friesen Brothers. That's Friesen.com. Every Friday, it's an absolute pleasure to check in with the co-host and the star of the Seriously podcast Sapria Devetti a great friend of the show a member of our editorial board it's nice to see your face again thanks for making time for us on this Friday always Ryan good to see your face uh, we opened the show with some heavy stuff talking about our connections to our pets um, I, I was uh, tra- I was sitting in the shallow end of the pool worried that I had some dog hair on my blazer and John reminded me the dog won't be here forever do you guys have pets in the house yeah, man, I've got a 14-year-old lab mix who will be 15 in December. I've had him since he was a puppy, um, and he's really slowing down, you know? Mm. Um, he's starting to pee in the house every now and again. Um, he is completely deaf, uh, more or less, so you got to kind of, like, wave him over if you want to get him to go outside or, or whatnot. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's my husband and I have been talking about it for the last little bit, but, like, I am not going to be okay. Um 
when Cody's time comes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Oh man, yeah. fourteen. That's pretty incredible, though. I wonder if I wonder if part of the secret to his longevity has been that you said he's a lab mix. Uh, people oftentimes say that it's that it's the that like the purebreds can experience the health challenges a little bit earlier in life. It seems. I mean, yeah, it does seem, and uh, people do tend to think that that because he's a mutt, because um, we really don't know what his what his, the other half is. Yeah. Um, but he has a ton of health problems. Like he uh, has epilepsy since he was uh, a like I say puppy, but like a teen puppy. You know, like it hit him basically after a year. So he's been on anticonvulsants. He's had um, double knee surgery. Uh, he's had his pancreas removed um, wow. because he had ongoing pancreatitis. So like he's also, as my husband and I joke, um, like the $50,000 yes. dog, uh, even though I got him for like $140 from the SPCA <laughs> or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you might yeah. as well got like a purebred. Uh, what I think I don't know what the most expensive ones are these days. I think maybe Frenchies. Frenchies, I hear people paying like 3500 yeah. bucks for them. But uh, yeah, well, hey, listen, um, we all know that our pets are going to pass at some point. We're all going to die at some point uh, when it does happen, whichever one of ours goes first we'll be here to to commiserate i i always recommend that people check out jimmy stewart's appearance on johnny carson back in the day you can find it on youtube his dog named Bo had just passed away and johnny carson brings it up for people that haven't seen it and jimmy stewart pulls out this piece of paper out of his jacket and reads this poem called my dog Bo," and it's Aww. un believable we can't play it here on the show you know for copyright reasons but uh, people after you listen to this entire edition of real talk uh go figure out or go find that uh, that jimmy stewart appearance on johnny carson it'll it'll get the waterworks going i guarantee it you and i are, are talking social media today on a couple of different fronts we'll talk about meta in just a moment i'm just just market share pl- i mean they, they're, they're talking like a 700 billion dollar mm-hmm. value loss I mean, wild but why don't we start with the lead so to speak and that's that uh elon Musk now owns Twitter, and uh, he's begun his his ownership with firings, declaring, as the headline reads, that the bird is freed. Uh, What do you make of this, and, and where does this story go from here? So I think there's a couple of things that jump out at me. I mean, first and foremost, you know, he tweets out the bird is freed. And I think that's a cute, clever way of announcing his uh, takeover, as it were. But the uh, EU commissioner was like, "Uh uh-uh, yeah, bird may be freed. But if you're going to play in the EU, then you still have to play by our rules. And the Digital Services Act is in effect in the EU. So I I think it'll be interesting for uh, Mr. Musk going forward how he tends to view his own personal views of like an absolutist version of free speech with, you know, coming up against democratic governance of these tech platforms, which are becoming increasingly common um, around, you know, Western liberal democracies. So that'll be something. The other thing that jumps out at me, and I don't know if you saw this on your own feed, Ryan, but on mine, I certainly saw a lot of people being like, wow, this is my last day here. It's going to be, it's going to suck now. That's like, well, doesn't it already kind of suck? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm not one to to downplay the, you know, hordes of bots or the vitriol that people can face on online platform platforms, particularly, you know, on on Twitter. Um, but I don't know if a bunch of people leaving um, and making a big show of it. Uh, right off the bat is like the best way to go about it. And the other thing is that everyone was like, oh, no, all these people are fired. It's like, Okay, like, do you care about of a bunch of execs at Twitter being fired? Because like, I don't like I'm sure they all got pretty sweet packages and they're all going to find jobs handedly. Like, um, so I I think a lot of the initial reaction is kind of missing a bit of the mark. Um, You know, if you want to talk about how Twitter will 
be, you know, the experience, the user experience will be under Musk. I think that's a fair sort of question and who he lets back onto the the platform, like folks that have been previously banned, that will be interesting. Donald Trump is the only one anyone's going to pay attention to, right? Yeah, I think so. But there are a bunch of others, right? Like a bunch of other like far right podcasters and the like that have been that have mm. been bumped off the site. And I presumably they'll they'll come back. Um, so that may make the the experience, uh, you know, worse for for some. But um, I think it's more the the struggle that Elon's going to have of being like the king of Twitter, so to speak, because like he now wears everything. Um, and that I don't know why you would want to do that as like the richest dude on the planet. But, you know. He wanted to, so he can. <laughs> Do you? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the whole thing about like, and I don't quite understand it yet, to be honest. Like now it's like it's pay to play. Is that right? Someone's saying there's like a $7 a month charge if you want to have like certain options or things like that. And there's going to be a change to how it's monetized. And and I don't know how, how it'll be interesting to see how ingrained Twitter is in, into, you know, many or most people's lives. I mean, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. It's a great platform to, to send out our message on the show or or to promote a cause or to respond to something. Um, so you could say certainly it's ingrained itself there. I think I signed up in like early 2010. So it's been like 12 years or approximately. Most people that are on there have been there probably, you know, close to a decade. But but other things happen. Other things come and go. I mean, you know, people used to Maybe it's a bad comparison, but, you know, like ICQ or other things. I thought you were going to say MySpace. But My, yeah, yeah but sure. My, really, another yeah. great example. Like maybe maybe there's another thing that's next and maybe Twitter five years from now will be gone for good. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, I think its user base is particularly engaged because of the types of jobs that a lot of the folks do that are on Twitter. I mean, you know, when you signed up, you were in media, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, I signed up basically because my my older sister was like, well, you're starting to write opinion pieces now and you need to have a Twitter account. Um, and that was back in like 2010 or whatever it was. And so that's why I joined. Um, I don't know if I was like a regular person with like a nine to five job, if I would be so attuned into what's happening um, in the Twitterverse, so to say. And I think it's particularly valuable if you're a journalist, if you're a politician, if you're somebody that needs to regularly um, be on the up and up of, you know, the minutia of what's happening in the news cycle. But I don't know what the value is for like a regular person. Um, And I don't know how Twitter is going to be able to, you know, widen its user base um, under Musk. Now, maybe because he's going to relax some of the the rules, you get people off of, you know, Parler and Gab um, and some of these other uh, sites that are were, you know, primarily attracting folks who got kicked off of Twitter um, to come back into the fold. But that's got to make advertisers a little bit jumpy then, too, because nobody wants to be advertising on a hellscape of a site that has like neo-Nazi content plastered all over it. Uh, true. Uh, no, true. Uh, okay. <laughs> true, but. True, yeah, true. <laughs> period. Turn yeah. the page. New yeah. chapter. Um, but people do want to advertise on a site that has a ton of traffic and sure. and and uh, is it's fair to say that bringing Donald Trump back to Twitter is going to bring a lot of other people back to Twitter sure. Um, you know, I mean, whether or not, you know, you might, you know, Hillary and others might call them deplorables. They still may be brought back to Twitter and that's not necessarily bad for advertisers. Do you, do you uh, okay. Loaded question. Uh, I mean, he did, you know, like 
pour gasoline all over the fire. He started the fire of January 6th. Um, he is, he's a former president. And I mean, like, how, how do you feel about Trump being banned from Twitter? Like, he's, he's, he, has he done his time? Has he served his time out? Should he be back on Twitter? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I don't like the problem with with banning somebody like Trump, but then allowing, you know, other like dictators to be free on the platform to post all sorts of nonsense, um, whether we're talking about, you know, um, leaders in Iran or leaders in Russia, what, what you know, if you can pick your pick your poison there. But like it does seem to be a little bit uh, skewed in terms of the American sense and only having consequences for uh, President Trump. Um, but, you know, to your point about people rushing back onto the platform and it becoming um, not like musty tweets or whatever, like I remember when, when he was in, in, in office, like we had to regularly scan his Twitter feed to see if what what was up. Right. And yeah. I know like our the global newsroom did that regularly. Um, so it, it's it's one of those things where I think people will have to pay attention by virtue of the fact of who he is. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know if it's incredibly healthy um, for democracy if you have somebody that's like constantly trying to put out anti-democratic uh, views out there and to incite other people um, to, you know, overthrow the government. So it, it, he may get let back on. I'd be curious to see how long he can stay on um, without having some other sort of consequence be put on him, I guess is my what I would say to that. Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah. I just I have mixed like I'm not I'm not. I shouldn't say I'm obviously not a Trump fan, but I'm not a Trump fan. Absolutely not. Um, but I do. I think it's obvious. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's obvious. Uh, <laughs> have I said a couple things? Um, but I just, yeah, I just like the whole thing of like banning someone from a platform. Um, I don't like for me, there's not black and white. There's not. And I think that there's danger to. And I, I roll my eyes a lot these days when people talk about like, you know, the idea around cancel culture or, or more specifically censorship. Um, I don't think that most people that, that lament the censorship they see around them are actually seeing censorship. I don't yeah. think that's what it is. But I also do think that it's a uh, and I'm a bit of a hypocrite here, too. I mean, I talked to Danielle Smith about this Alberta's premier about her new, her new policy, which she doesn't appear to be adhering to it. Uh, but she sat in this chair next to me and said that she would have a new policy as premier where she wouldn't be blocking thought leaders. She wouldn't block anybody that didn't call her an F, a B or a C. That was what she said her policy would be. And then our the, the most Twitter mentions that we've had over the past three weeks have been people saying, well, I just got blocked and I didn't call her an F, a B or a C. So I don't know what's up. And quite frankly, uh, you know, as I, I mean, I block people sometimes and sometimes there's reason and sometimes I just fucking feel like it. Um, I don't want to hear from them anymore. So I block them and it's my right to do so. But also like it's in a way like kind of a bad look, right? Like it's kind of a bad look to be blocking people, let alone shutting people out of your forum. It makes you look at worst, uh, maybe a little bit insecure in your ideas or your ability to debate people. You know what I'm saying? And I'm I mean, not just trying yeah, to be devil's I advocate. I don't, I don't really care if people block other people because it's not like their tweets magically disappear. Just log out of the platform sure. and go onto their profile and see what they're saying. But is it different really if like a, if a premier blocks someone than a, a member yeah. of the general public? 
I mean, I think there is a difference um, there, obviously. But, you know, it's it is her Twitter feed. And if she doesn't want to hear from people, then she doesn't want to hear from people. I think that's a disadvantage. Somebody who's a political leader and who's supposed to be tuned in. I think it's hypocritical, particularly after what she said on your show. Right. When she said uh, F or B or C. And by the way, what is F like somebody's calling her a fuck or somebody using the the word fuck? Yeah, I don't know. Because that's not clear to me. Like B and C is clear. But B and C is clear. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe she. Like, just, like, what if somebody said at Danielle, I'm so fucking fired up about, you know, taxes. Does, yeah. Is she going to block them? Like, Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. neither here nor there. But all, all this to say is that I think people also have the right. I should to have control- followed. I should have asked a tough follow up question on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's wrong um, with fuck premier? <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think people have the right to control their own timelines. And, you know, if you don't want people chirping at you, um, then, yeah, go ahead and block. I, I prefer the mute function personally. Um I use that quite liberally just because I think it, you know, it, it blocks it from your own mentions uh, and the person doesn't know they've been blocked from your own mentions, So they're just kind of like chirping about um, unbeknownst to them. And it's somewhat cathartic. Uh, but I, I, I get that people, um, even if you are a politician, even if you are a premier, um, wanting to cut down on some of the crap that they see or just cut down on their own notifications, if, if that's the case, too. Yeah. Uh, hey, let me ask you about this story. This with with Meta. Uh, it's pretty wild that uh, the value plunged. It's estimated by seven hundred billion. We're basically talking about Facebook, right? Its value yeah. has plunged by seven hundred billion dollars uh, in a very short period of time. Wall Street's calling it a train wreck, uh, valued it more than a trillion dollars several months ago. Uh, no longer. Uh, people had been looking at at Facebook, Meta, whatever you want to call it, as, as sort of like the future of advertising. And that's the biggest part of its revenue. What are you reading into this quarter three earnings way down? So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's I mean, what I texted to you was, you know, Meta uh, in nay, Facebook has done all sorts of terrible things, right? Like they have been involved in promoting violence, inciting violence, um, genocide, even in, in some countries. Uh, they had a key role in terms of the insurrection and the attack on the Capitol uh, on January 6th. And yet this is what brings them down is some pet project from Mark Zuckerberg of, uh, you know, essentially virtual reality Sims. And um, he, because of, you know, the way the the voting shares work, like it still can do whatever the heck he wants. So, um, you know, value may, may tumble. I mean, it's, it's worth noting there's still valued something like 260 ish billion dollars. Right. So it's not like it's the only reason why we're talking about this is because to your point, the last fall, it was at a trillion. So that's a huge um, tumbling, um, but it's still pretty high. Uh, I know that Apple, uh, in, when they changed their tracking systems on their iOS, like Facebook was was very pissed about that. But it turns out Apple did put a little bit of a hit, but it was something like 10% in total. So not a, not a total hit. I'm just curious as to where it goes from here. What what does what does Zuckerberg do? Like, it, it's clear if he's all in on this, he, he'll continue to want to do it. But what is the appeal of the metaverse? Because that is something that nobody has been able to explain to me. And you're like a techie, gadgety kind of guy. Like, do you want to be in the metaverse? I uh, I'm not a techie, gadgety guy. 
at all. You're not I'm a actually, techie gadgety guy. You're always you, like new John is like John is, I mean, is really not. You're like a boomer. No, no, no. Okay, yeah. So to be fair, you don't get tech. I know that. I'm not technically <laughs> a boomer, but I am a yeah. boomer. No, no, it's worse than you think, Supreme. It's worse. <laughs> is you, it? you can tell her. Can I do a little window? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, you can tell her. Okay, he's here, he's been a, wanting to say this on the show I, for, I have for, not. A, a, for a week. No, I haven't. I don't get I don't get off on embarrassing you or anything. Okay. It's not no, even you, embarrassing. It's, you can, just, it's not embarrassing. It's just a fact. Ryan just he he saves his phone uh like he backs up his phone every time he gets a new phone so he was like hey i want all my pictures on my phone and i'm like well you have an iphone they're all already on your phone and he said no because i back up all my stuff and then i get a new phone and then i put more pictures and you know so i want to put these other two backups onto my phone and have all my pictures on my phone and i'm like ryan they're all in the cloud He's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, if you have a phone, you ha- you most likely have iCloud, or or you'll get, uh, you'll you'll get alerts every ten minutes saying you need more space, you need more space. Yeah. Especially, I know the number of photos this man takes a day, day and few, content yeah. and tweets and whatever. Yeah. Uh, so he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like. I literally went into his iCloud. Uh, like we, well, we, we signed, we signed in into the, first the actual time. website, which is what you do. We clicked a few blo- boxes, and uh, I literally pinched like this, and he saw all the pictures go from big to small, and then go <sighs> back up in years. And his eyes lit up like we'd opened a door to uh, the metaverse or something. It, it, was, it was like just, yeah. it was like when it, it, it was like when I I don't even know what to compare it to. It's like uh, it's like when you take it when you have like if you ever done like a backcountry trek and you have like a 70 pound pack on your back and all the hardcore hikers are going to be like 70 pounds. What do you have in there? Like, well, the wine tartar sauce, like there's lots of stuff in there, that, you know, fresh lemons, stuff normal people don't hike with. And uh, and when you take the backpack off and the, you're like, oh, like the feeling and you're like running around the campsite with 80, 70, 80 pounds off your back. That's what it felt like. And then, like this Ryan. was this this was this week, Ryan. so I I know no I like I'd heard of the and Johnny. Cloud. How did you not already like? Well, know, I think I think me about this to make fun of him. I, I was well, going to save been it. fun of me all week. <laughs> I was going to okay. save it for next seriously, but I think it's more like also I did the same thing. I was like a private person before I got married. I didn't want all my stuff up wherever, and now I'm just like a pretty open person. So like sure. But the other thing is That's like, why you're going to give everyone your cloud password so we can all Yeah, it's 785 no. Yeah. <laughs> but like uh yeah, I used to do the same thing. I used to just back up back up back up, but like you can't do that now because what if your backups? What if you lose your computer? What if, you know what I mean? It's got to be stored somewhere. Yeah. So Supriya, so the there. answer is like when you <laughs> ask me like do I want to do yeah. I want to be part of the metaverse? Like I don't even really understand what that is. Like, I just kind of like I kind of get what the cloud is in a way. It's like a safety deposit box, kind of digitally with lots of room somewhere on a uh, server in California is all your photos. (laughs) (laughs) So don't ask me if I want to be on the Meta. But if you tell this is why this is why I'm friends with you. And this is why you come. If you say like you really got to be on the metaverse, I say I agree. Absolutely. Real talkers. And then after the show, I scramble and figure out how to get on the metaverse. No, yeah, I don't want to be on the metaverse and I don't see the appeal of the metaverse. And until I think more people do start to see the appeal, particularly young people, because I mean, like I I'm an elder millennial or a geriatric millennial. I'm already out of the phase of where advertisers want to completely target me. So you got to convince young people it's a a thing that they want to do. And I don't know if they've done that yet. Yeah. Um, I just I'm I'm nervous to drop in on the live chat, but I decided to do so. And people people are being fairly gracious, so this is good. Graham's quoting me: "I am not a boomer." 
Um, <laughs> Kim says, boomer. RJ's younger than me. I'm not a boomer. And then Lauren says, boomers are the most discriminated of anybody on the planet. I think he's quoting Alberta's premier. I'm pretty sure Lauren's got a great sense of humor. We didn't get around to talking masks in schools. Um, an interesting story out of Alberta. Do you want to do this in like one minute? This yeah, is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Why, why don't you just tee this up? This is great reporting out of Alberta, but I know that you were keeping an eye on this. Megan Grant uh, for CBC News, an unreasonable order, it's been described, lifting Alberta's school mask mandate made by politicians, not uh, the chief medical officer of health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, says an Alberta judge who's ruled the February order that lifted that requirement for kids to mask was unreasonable because it was made by cabinet, not the CMOH. Your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's an interesting decision. I'm curious to see what will happen in terms of the response from the government on this. I'm also curious of the implications of this um, in other jurisdictions. I mean, I venture to guess that in a lot of other provinces, uh, the lifting of mask requirements was, in fact, a, a political decision made by politicians and not necessarily by the uh, you know public health uh, bodies or the chief medical officer of health. And so, you know, as flu season starts to kick off, as we have very high rates of RSV and other respiratory viruses, as well as COVID, um, particularly in school settings, um, as well as in settings where you do not have uh, the option to work from home, right, where you have to physically go in. Um, I'm curious of the implications of that, because there are a lot of like health and labor and safety standards that that come into play. And I think that it will make for a very interesting, um, you know, legal uh, back and forth for the next little bit. Yeah, especially to state the obvious, considering that the, the the position that Alberta's government may take on things like mask mandates and COVID restrictions has has changed quite drastically, which is saying something uh, over the past month with this new premier. But, but let me ask you this really quickly, because I know we sure. got to go, but like, did it really change that drastically? Or are they just saying like the quiet part loud now? Well, uh, yeah, fair, fair. Let's leave it oh, there. Okay. Well, no, I don't know. I guess, I guess all I'm saying is that uh, like we'll pick this up on Wednesday. Seriously, we'll pick it up on Wednesday. Seriously. <laughs> sure. Seriously. Pod.com. That's where people can subscribe. I'll just, I'll just close with this in saying that Jason Kenny, I think was, was uh, part of the, Jason Kenny's predicament was that he was sort of trying to, you know, you know, what's so amazing is like the old Westerns, like the black and white ones where there's like the guy or the gal that's smart enough that they, they, they've got the ability uh, with, with two, two bareback stallions to have one foot on each horse and ride both horses across the prairie. And everyone's like, wow, that's an amazing trick. Um, that's what Kenny was trying to do. And so you've got like the urban elites. I'm saying that facetiously, uh, but you've got, you know, people that run businesses and that pay attention to science that were like, um, please bring in measures. There's a pandemic. Thousands of people are going to die. We hope it's not millions. And we need to do things like restrict interaction, temporarily shutter businesses, uh, consider measures to be taken in schools, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Alberta maybe was was less uh, urgently adopting some of those measures, but Alberta was adopting them. Uh, I'm trying to be careful what I say because people can poke holes in everything I'm saying here. But generally speaking, and then the other horse, the other wild stallion. We're the freedom fighters, you know, the freedom fighters that uh, figured like any sort of like public health restriction is an infringement on their God given right to pursue freedom and liberty and all of the other American phrases that they love to trot out in Canada. And he tried to ride both. And I think that the current premier is is a little more committed. She's like picked she, her horse. She's, yeah, picked, she's her picked her horse. horse. You know, she's yeah. saddled it up and she's riding it. And so I guess that might be the main difference. And, and maybe that was Kenny's downfall. I don't know. Uh, well. 
I think I do know, but um, I digress. Thanks for joining us. Love seeing you. Have an amazing weekend, and we'll see you on Wednesday with Seriously. Sounds great, Ryan. Yeah, that's Sapria Devetti. You can catch her every Friday right here on Real Talk. We've left our roundtable panelists like they're like, excuse me, we're ready to go here, ready to talk COP27, and we're eager to get to this conversation with two expert voices. You know, when we talk innovation, I think of Apex Automation, uh, an incredible sponsor to this show. They are leading the charge across Canada, providing intuitive, that's key, intuitive, fully autonomous solutions to industry. They're giving people companies and their people back their time in areas like pipelines across western canada natural gas processing facilities chemical manufacturing in in saskatoon and vancouver potash mining in saskatchewan robotics brewing you name it apex automation is innovating with canada's most talented team of engineers if you're a png looking for a new challenge you feel like you're not valued with your current employer check out apexautomation.ca today they are literally always hiring our friends at kubi renewable energy want to remind you about the solar energy solution to power your life and the avenue you can take to make it happen way more quickly than you might think the canada greener homes grant is available right now it's a loan of up to forty thousand dollars interest free for up to 10 years you want to get those solar panels installed first thing in the spring Today's a great time to request your free quote at kubienergy.ca. They'll get the paperwork started. They'll get the design done. And then their Tesla certified installers will be up on your roof before you know it. Thanks to Kubi Renewable Energy. Same deal with Eden Landscaping. You know, of course, their teams are not building retaining walls or putting in water features in the middle of February, but they are pulling permits, designing how they'll bring your outdoor space to life. If your next summer involves a special celebration, maybe a 50th anniversary or or someone's 18th birthday, maybe someone's having a retirement party and you're going to be hosting it, why not get that landscaping vision realized by putting a call in today or visiting landscapeedmonton.ca sometime this weekend. Mike and his team can show you their portfolio and figure out the best fit for you. That's Eden Landscaping. And our friends at Urban Timber, uh, every single Friday, presenting our Real Talk Roundtable. They're also the ones that designed and built this masterpiece that I sit in front of every single episode of Real Talk. This Urban Timber table is white oak and epoxy, an absolute masterpiece. And right now, until the end of this month, you've got just a few days left. They are guaranteeing delivery by Christmas of your own masterpiece, a table built by the team at Urban Timber. You can visit them online. Check out urbantimber.ca, browse their selection, or go see them in their new location. All the details, urbantimber.ca. Don't forget, of course, Saturdays, they're open from 10 to 4. Go see for yourself what they can do to transform your living space. It's Urban Timber. Or the United Nations Climate Change Conference uh, is looming. Uh, Kicks off on Sunday, November 6th, runs through to the 18th, where, uh, of course, interested parties, that'll be elected officials, lobbyists, uh, government decision makers, innovators, industry voices will gather in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, uh, to talk about climate change and the global response. Our two next guests have made this their business. Kendall Dilling is president of the Pathways Alliance. It's a consortium of the six largest oil sands companies that have joined forces 
to achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions from their operations by 2050. Uh, Kendall's got 30 years of technical and management experience in oil and gas. Uh, He's graduated from the University of Calgary with his undergrad science, his BA and his MBA. Dr. Sarah Hastings Simon is an assistant professor at the University of Calgary, where she directs the Masters of Science in Sustainable Energy Development. Uh, She's a macro energy system researcher, also co-founder and co-host of the fantastic Energy Versus Climate. Uh, It's a webinar and podcast that explores the energy transition in Canada's energy capital. Of course, that's the province of Alberta. A warm welcome to the both of you. Really looking forward to having coffee with you today and having a good back and forth. Please, as you know, with the Real Talk Roundtable, we invite you to speak freely, to interact with one each one uh, one and each other. Um, Dr. Sarah, uh, why don't we start with you? Uh, Of course, uh, COP27 is an opportunity for people around the world uh, to have a conversation that, of course, is uh, imperative to the future of the planet. Uh, How are you wrapping your mind around this one? Well, I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of sort of progress building on the last COP. Um, Many countries have, uh, as we've seen from the um, International Energy Agency's World Energy Outlook that was just released earlier this week, when we talk about announced pledges that countries have, we are well on our way, although not completely there, um, to getting to a net zero future in 2050. And so now it's really a matter of um, actually putting those plans into action, as well as filling the gap, um, and also what uh, developed countries are thinking uh, or are able to do to support developing countries in that transition. Kendall, your your group, Pathways Alliances, actually has a, a really neat opportunity to present. Uh, I, my understanding is that you're going to have a, a display set up at the Canada Pavilion at COP27 in Egypt. Can, can you take us into what that's going to look like and what your key message is on, on behalf of oil sands producers? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and we were very, very pleased to be selected to uh, present at the Canada Pavilion this year. Uh, it's really, you know, tying into what Dr. Sarah said, our, we're going there with a message to say, yeah, this is action and this is what the oil sands are doing to help Canada achieve our national targets in support of international ambitions. Uh, really, we're going to be there showing the incredibly important collaboration between industry and government and Indigenous communities and how working together we can execute some of this major decarbonization infrastructure and actually start delivering uh, material reductions against Canada's targets. How are we doing, uh, Dr. Hastings-Simon, uh, as a nation here? And, and like, let's, let's really dig into it, because, because a lot of people will, will take a look at these ambitious goals, and, and we see these, the, whether we're, it's coming from an oil sands consortium, or whether it's coming from auto manufacturers, or whether it's coming from, from you know, some, some just uh, you know, people's private businesses, they'll say, we're, we're endeavoring to get to net zero by 2030, or we're endeavoring to get to a certain target over the next five years. Do you see it happening around you in a way that you would describe as meaningful progress? I think it's a mix depending on which sector of the economy you're looking at, which region. Um, you know, when I look at thinking about progress on emissions reductions, of course, actually reducing emissions is, you know, the, the kind of gold standard and what you want to see. That is a lagging indicator. Uh, and so, you know, I think for Canada as a whole, um, the other pieces to that puzzle are having concrete targets, having policies, uh, and then actually starting to uh, put steel in the ground and, and really build out whatever the new infrastructure 
infrastructure is. And so I think on that metric, we're just starting to see for Canada as a whole, some of this infrastructure being built out, some of the transition happening, uh, you know, purchases of electric vehicles uh, starting to rise, um, uh, installations of heat pumps in, in places across the country. Uh, so I think that on, on that measure, you know, we're, it, we're just starting to, you know, hopefully turn the corner on uh, some of those some of those policies and plans. I think when it comes to, um, you know, Alberta as a province, uh, there, I I certainly have a serious concern about the fact that we don't have uh, a target um, as the province of Alberta. We don't have an emissions target. We don't have a robust uh, climate plan um, that, you know, touches on all sectors of our economy behind that. And I think that, um, you know, in so much as the the province is planning to to go to COP, which, you know, I think is a a great place for the province to be and and to learn and to, to see that global conversation happening the lack of really that uh, that tangible plan is is going to be challenging because that's uh you know that's what what the folks at cop are looking for and sort of commitments uh without those clear policies are really not gonna not gonna meet the bar uh, sarah i am going to circle back on on alberta sending a delegation to cop because i'm not convinced that uh, it sounds to me to be be somewhat of maybe a, of a combative type scenario, but I'm gonna, I'll talk to you about the politics of COP uh, in just a moment. Kendall, I couldn't help but notice when 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 Sarah started talking ab- about infrastructure and putting steel in the ground, you were nodding like there was you had this visceral response to it. So why don't you take it from here? Oh yeah, <laughs> steel in the ground, Doctor. Sorry, you took my uh, favorite expression. You know, sadly, right now Canada's track record of executing major infrastructure over the last decade or so is is quite abysmal. And we've become a little bit of a laughingstock internationally uh, in terms of our ability to do this. And so I, I just really feel strongly, as does our industry, that we've got a chance here and we've got to get all these things to align, the, the regulatory and the stakeholder and Indigenous and fiscal frameworks and everything to really show and demonstrate to the world that we can actually get big projects done. Our project, as you probably would know, is you know a twenty well sixteen. Just speaking of our foundational carbon capture and storage project, that's a sixteen billion dollar project between now and twenty thirty. We are working hard. We've got hundreds of people on the ground right now working on this, and there's a lot of things that have to line up for that to uh, be in operations by twenty thirty. We're going to do everything in our power to make sure that uh, if it slides it's not because we didn't do our part as industry but we need partnership with government and uh, stakeholders to remove some of those barriers that have stopped previous projects of this nature from going ahead but yeah we are how how bent for leather to get this in in the ground by 2030 kendall what's the what's the vibe like like around the table i mean you talk you talk about the sixth largest oil sands company joining forces you're talking about like market values in in like i mean enormous value if you talk about what drives the canadian economy these are some of the huge players um these are also companies that have faced opposition uh, from environmental lobby groups and others around the world i know that there have been branding exercises underway i can't ignore the commercials on television that are featuring canadians proudly working in the energy sector saying here's what we're doing on remediation and, and but still the criticism remains um can you give us a sense of the vibe of uh you know i mean i know you're going to give us an answer that'll that'll of course represent the people that you're here to talk on behalf of but but like are some people being dragged there kicking and screaming like are some people you know very motivated to to lead the charge on this are people cognizant of of where the rest of industry is going can you give us a sense of what those conversations are like and where you think that people are at from a point of conviction 
Oh yeah, no, for sure. And I have, I'm a wildlife biologist is my original background. And I spent my whole career uh, working largely within industry, trying to advance sustainability and get us to the point where we are now. And, you know, I suppose somebody could um, say it maybe took us a little longer than we should have to get here, but I assure you right now, we are all in. I meet every single week with our six CEOs and have done for over 18 months now, and we've maybe taken three Fridays off in that period. The the top-down conviction from the CEOs is, is amazing. And we have hit our TSN turning point as oil sands. We have shifted and pivoted, and we are all about net zero by 2050. And there's no there's no dragging anybody at this point. And in fact, you know, we've set voluntary goals together. And ironically, we're a little bit worried that all the pancaking of overlapping regulation from all you know different government agencies and levels could actually have the unintended consequence of getting in our way. We're we're in show show watch us mode now, right? Like we are gearing up to do this, and we actually just need partnership and support as opposed to. Uh, a whole bunch of additional com- complex regulations. We're, we're on our way and on a voluntary basis. Of course, you need a regulatory framework, and I don't. And, and Dr. And Dr. Hastings Simons ra- raises a really valid point, uh, and we will work within that. But it, 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 that's part of the problem why some of these projects haven't gone ahead in the past is the regulatory risk is so daunting that companies just can't see their way through to the end. Mm. Sarah, I can see you. You're scribbling notes as Kendall's talking, and I can't wait to hear what you're writing down. You know, I I think that there is, and and talking about what Alberta and Canada is doing in the context of COP is really a good way to have this conversation because, you know, if we are on track for net zero, so is, you know, at least in commitments, many of the other major economies of the world. And so in some sense, when we talk about timing, now more than ever, Alberta is not really in control uh, as to what happens with demand for our oil globally. You know, you could argue that perhaps in the, in previous decades, if there had been faster action, that might have uh, you know potentially changed the conversation. But as we're tending towards reducing our emissions, so is the rest of the economy. And so, as I mentioned, the the International Energy Agency came out with their World Energy Outlook. This is the scenario based approach to looking at potential future uh, trajectories we may be on for demand for um, you know all kinds of energy, but oil included. And it's quite stark this year, right? So this is the first year where all of the uh, scenarios um, show a plateau and decreasing demand for oil. But if we if we jump to the net zero scenario, you know, there we're seeing really dramatic declines in global demand for oil through the the next decade to the point that, uh, you know, they they are projecting oil prices in the $30 range uh, from 2030 going forwards. And that's really just based on production costs for the amount of, um, uh, you know, the the number of fields and the amount of production that you would need at that point. And so, you know, there's certainly a need for Alberta to continue to take action and to reduce our emissions. But I think we can't have a blind eye to, you know, as the rest of the world takes action, whether it's on that net zero trajectory or whether it's just meeting the pledges um, that countries have announced, it turns out that transportation and electrification of vehicles, which of course is a big driver for uh, demand for oil, is one of the the few uh, sectors that the IEA is tracking that is actually on track to uh, net zero 2050 future. And so, you know, while it is true that even in those in those futures, there will continue to be demand for oil 
oil um, for a number of, of decades, um, that demand will be dramatically decreased. And therefore, the value of that oil, you know, whether that's oil coming from Alberta, if there is progress made in reducing emissions or coming from elsewhere, the value of that oil will be significantly reduced. And so that I think is something that, uh, you know, is out of the control of the, the producers in Alberta and certainly in, in Alberta's government. And I imagine as we get into the politics, that comes up again too. But but that's sort of the the reality of, of sort of where the rest of the world is going on uh, on emissions reductions. Kendall, want to give you a chance to respond to that, obviously. You know, I mean, I, I obviously, I don't disagree. Uh, as they say, the, the, the Stone Age didn't end because they ran out of stones. And there'll still be oil in the ground when this world doesn't need oil anymore. Uh, there's, you know, all kinds of credible third-party forecasts out there showing what that future demand curve looks like. And we're uh, absolutely cognizant of that in, in our plans. For the period of time which the world does need oil and gas, we think it should be coming from, you know, respons- responsibly, uh, responsible oil from jurisdictions like Canada with democracy and rule of law and great environmental regulations. And as we achieve our net zero ambitions, as we provide a, a largely carbon abated barrel of oil to the market, as that demand shrinks, that should be the highest demand barrel is the is the lowest greenhouse gas barrel. And, and we think the oil sands are in a really good spot to compete for that declining share over time. Uh, but in the meantime, you have to get after those emissions. I mean, 25% of Canada's emissions right now come from production of oil and gas. If we don't seriously put our resources together to uh, uh, attack that significant wedge, we just can't make progress towards the national uh, objectives we have. Uh, let, let's talk about the politics of all of this, uh, in particular through through our lens as a as a Western Canadian based show. I'll, I'll reference Stephanie Thomas's reporting for CTV News out of Calgary. Uh, Alberta will be sending a five member provincial delegation to Egypt to COP twenty seven. Uh, the government says it distrusts Ottawa to represent the energy sector. You may remember that the Jason Kenney conservatives did not send representation uh, to Scotland for the previous COP conference, uh, said Minister Sonia Savage, who was energy minister under Premier Kenney. I think it was a mistake to not be there at the ministerial level. Uh, what has been done in the past, unfortunately, is that the federal government frames the narrative to set targets and dates that we can't actually achieve, said Alberta's relatively new premier, Danielle Smith. Um, I think that we need to be there at the table. Uh, she says uh, the reason why we're sending our own delegation, I don't believe that we're being properly represented by Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo, who, by the way, we invited to be on this. Uh, his team says, well, maybe we'll speak with him next week. Uh, the Environment Minister says Danielle Smith clearly hostile to our oil and gas sector, clearly trying to step into areas he's got no business regulating when reached for comment. A spokesperson in the office of the Federal Minister of the Environment and Climate Change told CTV News, quote, it's unfortunate when politicians seem more interested in picking a fight than getting on with the job. So Alberta and the federal government do not agree on what they hope to accomplish or talk about or represent at COP27. Uh, How politicized is this process, Dr. Hastings Simon? And do the politics of this, albeit necessary for policy, get in the way of meaningful discussions at a conference like COP? 
you know, there's there's a lot of sort of parallel things going on at a conference like COP, right? You have the official negotiations, which happens within this very uh, structured and, uh, you know, complex uh, environment. You have, of course, everything that's going on around that as well, too. Um, I think when, when you think about Alberta going to COP, the question that I really would have is what is the message that they hope to bring, right? And so if the if the complaint from, from what you read, I understood as being that you know the federal government isn't accurately representing what Alberta is doing, um, and and not you know is regulating things that they shouldn't be regulating, which I think is is a very questionable uh, claim. But but even just taken on its face, then what is Alberta going to bring as far as saying here's what our targets are, here's what our policies are, here's what our regulatory plans are, and it's not. I don't think anybody at COP is going to be impressed if um, it, you know if they if they show up without that uh, and just you know, it's it's hard to fill that conversation and to explain what you're doing if you don't have those actions and those plans. But I think also importantly, and and I imagine that 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 will become clear, you know, as as they are at at COP, it's really more and more about not what the federal government is doing on climate policy when it comes to the demand for Alberta's oil and the and the potential to um to to grow or, or export oil, but it's really about what the rest of the world is doing on climate policies. And so I think from that sense, you know, being there and seeing the level of ambition and the level of action that's actually happening um, is quite important. Yeah, no kidding. And there, there, there's obviously, I mean, to say there's an international focus here, obviously, it's the United Nations Conference on Climate Change uh, being hosted in Egypt. Uh, but, but, but a lot of it is talking about financing and infrastructure and development in developing countries. I mean, I'm taking a look. People can check out uh, COP27.eg. Uh, they'll be talking about, you know, food security and innovative finance for climate development, the future of energy, water security. I mean, these are important conversations, global conversations. Uh, Kendall, you've heard it probably more than I have when people talk about Canada's oil sands or or Alberta's oil sands in particular. Uh, A lot of advocates in past have said, yeah, but you look at the pollution that comes out of India or you look at what's happening in China and people try to sort of make that, you know, that those comparisons, because I think in a way uh, they could make Canada's emissions look good. Everybody's heard the whole thing about, you know, 1.6 percent like Canada responsible for global emissions. You know, though, that those often also land with a thud with people that suggest that Canada needs to be a leader in this context and set a good example with industry and other. Um, When it comes to the mandate that you hope to accomplish there and the conversations, including developing nations, what role does industry play in contributing to or even attempting to shape those conversations at COP? You know, honestly, I don't think that is industry's role. That's Uh, uh, government's purview to have those policy discussions we're not there uh, in that capacity we're there to show and showcase what we are doing because again as as dr sarah indicated you know this is crop 27 right this is not crop two this we've been at this for a long time and we have to show action and progress and and governments can set policy governments can set targets but it is industry who ultimately mobilizes capital makes stuff happen makes these transitions happen. You look at what's happening in the U.S. right now with the Inflation Reduction Act, clearly they are seized with this opportunity that globally there's going to be trillions of dollars spent on energy transformation. And why wouldn't they be, want to be a part of it? And I would say the same. Why wouldn't Canada want to be a part of that opportunity? And we have some really great bona fide cards to play. We are already global leaders in CCUS and hydrogen and, you know, 
small modular reactors, critical rare earth minerals, renewables. Like you, there's a lot of areas where Canada has a lot of chops to share to the rest of the world and and actually create economic opportunity coming out of this. So that's really our focus is on the economic and and, and actually executing side of things. Um, we we often find with these conversations that time flies, and uh, the last thing I want to do is keep you beyond the time we've asked you to stay here. But I also don't want to leave something on the table where we sign off, and either of you goes, "Gosh, I wish we would have had a chance to talk about that." Now we could have a conversation about environment and climate change and industry and and federal and provincial policies and where Canadians are at and the best way to. I mean, we could talk for hours and hours and hours. But but let me give you each an opportunity to throw something else in front of us to reflect on this weekend or or to give us some context as we're paying attention to news reporting and conversations all the way through uh, till the November 18th when when COP27 wraps. Uh, Dr. Hastings, Simon, obviously people will be following you on social media, following your Twitter, listening to your podcast, but but what's one other thing you want to put in front of the Real Talk audience in the context of what we're talking about today? I think it's just really starting to look out for where there are signs of the pace of change, right? And we've been talking about energy transition for for some time now. And I think it's easy to feel like this is some, you know, future that we have to plan for and, uh, and, and you know, we'll, we'll sort of operate business as usual now and then one day we'll get there. So I think it's really looking for, uh, you know, I even see it now just driving around in Calgary. I think every single time I, I leave my house, uh, I see at, lo- at least one electric vehicle on the road and that didn't used to be the, the case. Um, so really looking for those signs uh, that that pace of change is accelerating and that we are in a moment of change. And, and it, the time is now for Alberta to really act and seize the opportunities and, and bring, uh, you know, the skills and the, the full set of resources that we have to participate, whether that's, you know, finding new ways to extract and process lithium, uh, you know, another natural resource that that we have here in our province. Um, but that there, you know, that the time is for that is really now as we're seeing that change happening. Kendall, last word to you. I would just say I really, really hope that we collectively show up at COP27 as a unified front. Uh, obviously, there's a political dynamic here going on within the country that is challenging. Uh, as industry, we're just looking for certainty and a framework, regulatory and fiscal, and and, and working with stakeholders that can allow these projects to move forward. To, to show up internationally and, and, and be taking shots at one another is, is not going to be helpful to anybody. We need all those parties at the table. And we have an amazing opportunity in front of us with Indigenous Economic Reconciliation. These projects, A, are all environmentally based projects, which is a core value to those communities. Much of this infrastructure development will take place, place on the traditional lands of Indigenous communities across the country. And there are going to be billions and billions and tens of billions, hundreds of billions spent that can create huge economic opportunity for those communities. So, again, to miss this and sit on the sidelines while investment dollars flow to other parts of the world because we didn't get our act together as Canadians would be a national tragedy. Hmm. Well said. Uh, Kendall Dilling is is president of the Pathways Alliance. You can check out what they're doing at pathwaysalliance.ca. And Dr. Sarah Hastings-Simon, an assistant professor at the University of Calgary, make sure you check out her podcast webinar at energy versus climate that's energy vs climate.com uh, thanks to the both of you for participating in this real talk roundtable we appreciate it thanks for having thanks for us having you got it uh this real talk roundtable of course is presented every friday by our good friends at urban timber and you can check out what they're doing at urbantimber.ca man there's about a million angles you could take that conversation from we really should have had 
you know, a two and a half hour show with them today. Yeah, we could. Well, we'll keep this going, though. Cop runs all the way through. It kicks off officially in about a week from now. Uh, Sunday, November 6th. So really the 7th of November goes through to the 18th. And, and we've got a, a bunch of asks in. We hope to speak to the federal environment, Mr. Environment and Climate Change, mm-hmm. which will be good. And, and other players. And of course, we know that uh, if, if if the roundtable holds true to typically what happens here, we're going to hear from real talkers to our email inbox. that are going to say, well, you should talk to this person and this person. And we're this already person. hearing the rumblings. We love that stuff. There. That's great. Yeah. Keep that coming. Um, you know, this this can be the platform where someone you go, hey, well, here's who I'd really like to hear from. And, and we can put Put in those asks and make it happen. I saw somebody talking about Dr. Michael E. Mann. Uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Mann is a is a uh, prominent uh, commentator and scientist out of the United States, and he has been on Real Talk yeah. before. You can search our archives or just Google Michael Mann Real Talk, and uh, and you'll find that interview. Of course, maybe we'll circle back and, and talk to him. But a ton of different angles on this. Uh, we sure appreciate those expert voices joining us. These conversations happen because sponsors back this show and want to ensure that we continue to to dig into subject matter that that is relevant uh, to people across the country. Those sponsors include the team at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. They're talking about EVs, they've got that Jeep Wrangler 4xE, yeah. that electric Jeep. So cool. I saw one on the road just the other day, and, I, and I, I gave the gal driving a bit of a, you know, the Jeep wave. Jeep drivers know the Jeep, <laughs> the Jeep wave. And she had a big smile on her face. I would, too, if I was driving that beautiful machine. You can find the 4xE electric Jeep Wrangler at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. You can browse their selection online or go see them in person. And, of course, don't forget, you can chat with a member of their sales team directly on their website. You can link to that through ours under the Sponsors tab at RyanJesperson.com. And a huge shout-out this uh, heading into this weekend to the family-owned franchises, the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. In Sherwood Park, that's Baseline Road. They've just got the facelift. we got to drive out there and check out that store. Beautiful, beautiful new look at the Baseline Road location, one of the busiest Dairy Queens in Canada. And then Palisades, Nomeo, Newcastle, and Westmount. That's our home Dairy Queen, where you can find the fall blizzard lineup, including that pumpkin pie blizzard with real whipped cream on top, chunks of pumpkin pie and crust in the blizzard. Good gravy. Hey, speaking of good gravy, <laughs> try the Dairy Queen fries while you're there too, along with the signature stack burger combo. Sometimes uh, it's just too easy, John. You should be. It's just. It's just too easy. Sponsored for life by DQ. Sponsored for life. I would accept that relationship wholeheartedly. Let me Sign tell you that. Sign on the dotted line. Sign on the dotted line with the Lieber and Cardinal families. You got it. That would be our pleasure. And of course, every Friday, I don't have to tell you this. This is this is uh, into the this is implanted, imprinted into the DNA of this show. An opportunity. It's a tradition, really, is what it is. Thanks to our friends at Local Environmental Services for you, the listener, the viewer, the audience member, to get something off your chest. We call it trash talk. All right, a warning, like for real, a warning on this one. If you're watching this, uh, we're about to show you something that's troubling to see. This is submitted to us from Mel. Uh, it's not for young eyes. It, it, we're going to show you, well, what happens when poachers run rampant. Uh, Mel says, yeah, I was, uh, it was scrolling through my Facebook, and I, and I follow the Alberta Fish and Wildlife account, and they posted this uh, out of White Court, and it destroyed me, she says. Turns out a poacher took down a healthy... 450-pound grizzly bear prompting this post from Alberta Fish and Wildlife Enforcement. It was a week ago, uh, no, rather two weeks ago, on Friday, October 14th, around 4 o'clock, somebody shot this bear and just left it on a logging road about 7K north of Blue Ridge near White Court. 
Now, witnesses say that this driver, they were behind the wheel of a pickup truck. It was a Dodge with a quad in the back, a blue pickup with a quad in the back. They're looking for this person. The vehicle drove up to the bear and then peeled off in the other direction. Mel says, now I'm sure that there could be a few explanations for this, just a straight up poacher, maybe somebody just killing for fun. Perhaps somebody mistook it for a black bear and then fled when they realized that they'd done something illegal. But I'm calling on the driver of this pickup truck, the person who pulled the trigger, to do the right thing. And says Mel, Real Talkers, if you know who this is in that blue Dodge with the red quad in the back two weeks ago that shot a grizzly and left it dead, Turn them in! That from Mel. What about this one from Lauren, who says, uh, I have strong, strong objections uh, to journalist, uh, former journalist Tom Vernon's statement on Real Talk this week that I don't think that there's anybody in Edmonton really unhappy about the new arena. Lauren says, I live 17 blocks due east of the old arena, and I can assure you that my neighbors and friends who live in Montrose and Boyle Macaulay and downtown are very unhappy with the impact on our neighborhoods, our quality of life, and our property values. I invite you all to ride transit with me to work one day. See what I see, a tour of the other side, says Lauren. And I'm so disappointed, by the way, on a different front that Barry Morishita just can't win against Danielle Smith and Brooks Medicine Hat, partly because of the NDP. This is a repeat of the Highlands-Norwood election in the late 90s when the NDP insisted on running against a stellar liberal candidate. And guess what? The Conservatives won. Gary Masick. I'm sure Dave Cornwallier, the blogger, would remember this. The Alberta party, unfortunately, not a thing. Too bad, Barry. That from Lauren. Yeah, I too think the NDP should refrain from running a candidate in that by-election, but everybody thinks it's the Alberta party that should fall on the sword. We can debate this another day, Lauren. Thanks for that. Janelle says, please don't say my name as I'm a provincial public service employee. Okay, Janelle. Not her real name. She says, please shine a light on the massive taxpayer dollar waste of this monstrous shuffle in the United Conservative Party. The Premier's acting like she's got the next election in the bag. She's completely dismantled everything, which if she was elected, we would expect, but she was not elected. And we have an election coming in seven months. And if she doesn't win, you can bet your ass that Rachel Notley will undo all of this damage as she should. But what people are not paying attention to is when cabinet shuffles to this magnitude, when 45% of the Alberta public service is affected, it costs taxpayer dollars to move staff to different buildings, to align their teams, to hire ministers, to run these brand new ministries. It costs dollars to redo letterhead, to redo envelopes, and the list goes on. Now, I would understand if she was elected to be premier for the next four years, but at this point, it might just be seven months. And again, if Rachel Notley wins, she says, I need people to freaking understand what it's like to be a public service employee in times like these. And as a side note, Jason Kenney should know this. He could have dropped the writ. He could have let Albertans decide rather than 3% of the population. But no, he values party over country. I mean, Janelle, most politicians would, but I digress. She says, I understand why he didn't. Many implications, but these are unprecedented times. She says, listen, my brain is tired from the worst reorg ever, the mass confusion, the non-communication. We've just been sitting here trying to guess what ministry we're part of right now is our staff directory doesn't even match the HR site. It's a gong show, says Janelle. And now I digress because I'm just disgusted and pissed off. Please shine the light like I know you can. Well, Janelle, you just did. And this one to close. It's a letter to the Titan of Talk. This is a letter from Ken Uh-oh. to Charles Adler. And he says, 
I see that a lot of people are very upset over the myriad of climate protesters around the world throwing various liquids on art, homes, offices, and other properties. He's talking about Van Gogh. He's talking about Monet. Uh-oh. He says, now, Charles Adler was on your show reacting to these protests, and I believe that he vilified them, or at the least stapled the epithet of directionless, mischievous youth onto them. Now, here's a thought experiment for Mr. Adler. If your neighborhood was sitting on a gas line that was about to explode, but your fellow community members were apathetic about it, or worse, paid into services that would expedite that gas line exploding because they didn't know or didn't care, would you not do everything in your power to get their attention? Uh, But what if they ignored you? What if they influenced the media to paint you as a fear monger, as a loon that needed help, as a youth that listens to too many radical lectures? What would you do? says Ken. Mr. Adler, many who are raising awareness about climate change are largely doing so in non-violent, non-destructive ways. Those paintings are sealed and protected against such attacks. Now, that doesn't make the protesters non-responsible, and it doesn't mean they shouldn't face criminal charges. But here's the thing. Chemistry, physics, fundamental ruling mechanics of the universe simply don't care because they can't care. IR, you know, radiation will continue to be absorbed by CO2 molecules no matter what we do. The richest human, the most vocal hawk, the most charismatic bad faith grifters can buy, pitch, sell, lie, denounce, preach all they want about how climate change isn't real. But the universe doesn't care, Charles. The universe doesn't care because it can't care. It is incapable of caring. I highly suggest you read Kim Stanley's Robinson's The Ministry for the Future. What happens when the positive feedback loops start ramping up? What happens to the people who are going to be most affected by the destruction and death that is coming? And how are they changed? Even if you don't like hard cli-fi. What is that? Climate fiction? Cli-fi? I've never heard that. I love Love that. I've never heard of that before. (laughs) Ken says, I challenge you to read the first chapter. By far the most depressing and disturbing entry I've ever read in a novel. Charles, says Ken, things are bad right now, but they're going to get worse very, very, very quickly. And Mm -hmm. soon, even the most ardent climate change deniers will be wishing they had listened to the message these villainous youth were trying to promote. That from Ken. I'm not throwing that. I'm not throwing it away. Now we've got two potential emails of the month. It'll be Jillian versus Ken. We'll announce it on Monday. I don't want to make this decision. We I'll might have it. to do. You want to do it? We might have to do a Real Talk <laughs> poll, an official unscientific Twitter That'd poll nice. to see who wins the Real Talk email of the month. Hey, Ken, thanks for that. And guess what? We're going to give Chuck a chance to respond. When the Titan of Talk, the Emmy Award winner, the Lifetime Achievement Award winner, Charles Adler, joins us on Monday. It's a Real Talk edition you will not want to miss. Thanks for being a part of this one. Thanks for holding our feet to the fire. Thanks for being a part of the conversation. Thanks for giving a rip. Have a safe weekend, and we'll see you Monday. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. 
Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.